Hello, and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 12. One of Brian's main areas of expertise is the Gospel of John, and if you listen to our episode on John 14, we discuss the idea of Jesus being the temple. In this episode, we look at the entirety of the Gospel of John and see how the temple theme is developed. We look at how even the order of the stories in the Gospel of John point towards this idea. Before we jump in, if you haven't seen yet, we are giving away a copy of the book, The Nuns, from Ryan Burge, our guest from our bonus episode last week. If you're interested in entering to win that, head on over to our Facebook page for details. We're wrapping that up on Friday, so make sure you hurry up and go over and do that. One final note, before we jump into this episode, if you are enjoying the podcast, would you share our Facebook post from this episode or one of your favorite episodes from the past? We would love for others to hear this content as well. With all that said, let's jump into this episode looking at the temple theme throughout the whole Gospel of John. Well, Brian, welcome back to the Bistro. Hey, Ryan. How's it going, man? I am doing great. I am too. It's I'm, good. It's a good day. Yeah, I'm glad to be back here. Yeah. We haven't been, been back a, here in a while. Been a while, yeah. Yeah, we're. this is the first time we've been in the Bistro since the launch of the Bistro. That's true. You know, podcasting is such a weird phenomenon because we... We recorded all these episodes up front, kind of not, not knowing if anybody was ever going to listen to them. <laughs> yes. And then you launched them, and and we've been gratified. There's been some good listens. We've yes. had We've had people reach out to us and give us some suggestions, and, and uh, so that's been good. Yeah, one of the suggestions I really appreciated was that I need to interrupt you <laughs> more often and on a regular basis. Kind of ask questions. And, oh, yeah. ask questions. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've also learned about myself. I say the words... You know, like uh, way too often. It's right. one of my little things. And also, Lauren, my wife, who helps edit this. Oh, yeah. And I have noticed. And is the brain, really, let's be honest, Lauren's the brains behind the operation. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. But we've also learned and listen, because she's sitting there editing and she's laughing. And I'm like, why are you laughing? And she's like, because I'm making these jokes <laughs> and you don't even respond to me. Well, I mean, I get, I get when I'm teaching, I get focused. Yes. I, I kind of am thinking about that and you yeah know. well just uh, there's an easter egg for you all in future episodes <laughs> where i reference kanye west like this is a gimme like it was a gimme <laughs> kanye west reference and brian just i mean doesn't even doesn't even stop well I, okay well <laughs> i was trying to think about something i was trying to think of somebody's name which you know, yes, I know. Okay, well, you made fun of my math skills as well. And the in name, other ep- another episode. <laughs> the so. name was not Kanye West that I was looking for. So. You're right. Okay. All right. Well, Brian, enough of enough of the yeah, bantering back yeah. in the bistro. Well, we're glad you're here. We're glad you've all listened and joined us with this. Yeah, yeah. And so we thought we would talk a little bit more about the temple theme in the Gospel of John today. Yeah, that would seem to be a, an interesting topic that we we yeah. discussed so far. A lot of good response to John 14, and so I thought we would take that a little bit further. I mentioned then that that was part of a larger theme. I thought I would start with a couple of things. The the first thing is I thought I would talk about how it is that I came across this idea in the first place. And it was it's kind of funny because I was reading a commentary by D.A. Carson, his commentary on the Gospel of John. Yeah. And I need I'm going to explain a couple terms up front here. Some of you may already know what these mean, but uh, I, I want to I want to explain these up front because these are going to be important to us as we talk about other things re- regarding the Bible. I'm going to talk about the word eschatology. 
And, and some of you probably know what that means already, but, but eschatology is really, a, it literally means a study of the last things. So it, when we think about it biblically, it's talking about things that re- regarding the second coming of Jesus, things regarding the, the final age or the last age that we talk about, you know, in, in scripture, um, the age to come is a phrase that Jesus will use sometimes. And, and so eschatology is just the, the theological term for study of those kind of things that relate to the, to the end of the world. Yeah. Let's, th- let's, things let's call after it. now. Yeah. And then there are two terms that are related then to that. And one is, it, one's called realized eschatology, or you can call it, sometimes it's called inaugurated eschatology. Well, boy, this is going to be an easy topic for us to get to. <laughs> well, I said, it, I want to, I want to define these yeah, up yeah, front. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's realized eschatology. So realized eschatology focuses on the promises that we have as believers now. So there okay. are certain things that because of what Christ accomplished on the cross and because of our response to, to him, then there are certain things in our life, like like the the coming of the Spirit, for example. In John, Jesus promises that another counselor, right, a paraclete, is going to come. And mm-hmm. so this idea that we have the indwelling of the Spirit now is a part of what we call realized eschatology, something that we're realizing now. So uh, on that topic, so why is it called realized eschatology? Like, it, why, is it, why is it considered eschatology? Well, it has to do with this final stage. From, that the from, Spirit will be with us in the final stage as well. Well, and, and even now, you know, we're in this last age. You know, Jesus has come. He's, he's accomplished on the cross, kind of that final part of what it means. Uh, and, and then here's where it becomes really kind of tricky is there are certain Christians, it depends on how we understand the kingdom, God's kingdom. And so we understand God's kingdom. I understand at least God's kingdom to be something that is realized, something that is in effect now. It's okay. It's not yet uh, consummated. It's not yet come to its completion or fruition, but it has begun now. So we okay. talk about, you know, when we talk about being a part of God's kingdom now, that's, re- that's realized. It's yes. not just future. You know, I remember my, my parents would always use this phrase, kingdom come, you know, uh, and, <laughs> yes. and, and and that's future. So here's the other term I want to introduce you to, future eschatology. Okay. So those are kind of two parts of this, realized eschatology or inaugurated eschatology and then future eschatology. Now, okay. all of that, so so is that, is that clear? Or? <laughs> things now and things to come. Yeah, we could say that. And, and a lot of times we talk about the kingdom as the already not yet kingdom or, yes. or that kind of thing. You may have heard that phrase, but all of that was prefaced to kind of explain to you what, so I was reading this commentary by Carson and in the introductory section, he was talking about different themes and different ideas in the gospel of John. Mm-hmm. And one of them, he made the point and lots of people have made this observation, but he made the point that John's gospel is very focused, not on future eschatology, but on realized eschatology. Sorry. talked about that idea that the spirit is present with us. John uses this term. He likes this term. It appears in the other gospels, but he uses a lot eternal life. This idea that, that, that has begun now. You might remember Jesus, um, talks to Lazarus's sister and there's that whole discussion about, uh, you know, in fact, there's a good example of realized versus future eschatology. They have this discussion and, and she says, well, you know, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And yet even now I know whatever you ask. And Jesus says this, if, if you, if you remember, Jesus says your, your brother will live again. And she says, oh, I know he will again in the last day. Right. She's thinking future eschatology. And Jesus then says this thing that those who believe in me, even though they die, yet they will live. That's realized eschatology. You see, I'm saying that yeah. the eternal life has begun now. Okay, yeah. so that's that's kind of the distinction I'm drawing. So anyway, Carson makes this point that John is very focused on 
realized eschatology, but there are elements he mentions of future eschatology, and he quotes John 14 as an example of that, right? Yes. In my Father's house are many rooms, which we've talked about in a previous episode. Right. If you haven't listened to that in order to make Go sense of this. Go back to that right. episode. That's a good episode. Right. But but that that idea is began to percolate in me, and it led me to this question, why here? Why in John 14 is, is this idea of future eschatology? And so I wanted to use this as an example to talk about the way we sometimes come with questions to the Bible, what, what kind of questions we bring. And so when we begin to ask these kind of questions, I think we need to be open to, to hearing what the text says. So I went with the question, why in John? And I, I even thought I had some ideas about the answer. Yeah, and because a lot of other John has realized this. Is realized. So why, yes. why, why future here? Right? right. Why all of a sudden is in John 14, do we have this future looking heaven? And in my head, kind of my proposed answers, we've talked about the upper room discourse. Well, this upper room discourse may be kind of moving toward that idea of the future. You know, up to right. now, he's been talking about his present ministry and then. So that's what I went into the whole discussion with. And then, as we talked about in the previous episode, I began to notice the language that was used, like my father's house, when it's used earlier, is talking about the temple, this idea of the word place, which is used for the place of worship in other places, and begin to think about what Jesus is really saying there. And I begin to realize, in, in my understanding, that's not about future eschatology, but it is about realized eschatology. You, you yeah. see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's talking about what Jesus is accomplishing on the cross that we then have that what the temple was was intended for, that it's God's dwelling mm-hmm. in, in the midst of his people, and it's the way that we draw near to God, that that's realized in what Christ accomplished. So, yeah. so that's an example. So yeah. we're not thinking about some future fulfillment uh, of you know Christ returning, in my opinion, of John 14, but we're talking about that he is saying, I'm, I'm becoming this temple now. So that there's... The reason I want to mention that is that it has it shows the implications what what the difference in in our understanding of that could mean. Mm-hmm. So I started there, and we've already talked about that. And in that episode in John fourteen, I mentioned that this temple theme kind of runs throughout the entire Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. And actually, I recommended a book to you. Yes, um, yes. The, what is the the uh, temple and the church's mission? By uh, G.K. Beale. Yeah, Greg Beale uh, did did that book. Where where is it? It's here someplace. Oh, <laughs> it was here earlier, but it's oh, there not- it is, oh. right there. So, you know, the Bistro, you know, we've we've got Bistro's it. real loose here, man. <laughs> the server must have moved the book. So the te- the Temple and the Church's Mission. Read the subtitle of that: A book. Biblical Theology of the Dwelling Place of God. So that that's what we talked about with John. That this idea of God dwelling with us in Jesus, that He came to make His dwelling with us. Yeah, you know? and, and that book's all about the temple theme. We're talking about in John, but yeah. the temple theme throughout all of. Yeah. creation and the, yes. the biblical narrative. So it's a really interesting, fascinating book. We don't have time to get in all of it. Well, we don't, but, and then, and then Beale has written a really great, couple of really great commentaries on Revelation, actually. And this is where, again, that eschatology, a lot of people want to know about the last things. Yes. And, you know, one of the big questions we get a lot is about the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. And so I thought this might be a good way to kind of begin to talk about some of those things. But yeah, Beale makes a great point. That this this idea of the temple is something that runs throughout Scripture from the from really from the garden from the time that you know God <laughs> created the world to make His dwelling with us. Mm-hmm. So you have this image I mentioned er- earlier in a podcast that that in an episode that there's this idea that God was dwelling with Adam and Eve. He would come and walk with him in the cool of the day in the garden. Yes, and then that separation that took place had had effects. We're going to talk about that in some later uh, episodes. I think is the plan, and so. What really the temple is then is kind of that 
image or that picture that we need, that visible symbol in a sense of what it means to draw near to God again, to be intimate, to, to be in that presence again. And so what the temple did, what the tabernacle did initially, and even altars before that, but then what the tabernacle did is what Beale makes this point, and then the temple did is it kind of was an image of what it means to draw back into the presence of the holy God, to have our, our sins forgiven so that we could once again have that. But all of that was pointing toward, in my opinion, Jesus. And and then John is telling us, you know, I think, again, written soon after the destruction of the temple, that Jesus is the fulfillment of what those things were pointing toward. I'll, I'll give a couple of examples of that later on. So anyway, what I did then, when I noticed this in John 14, is I then just did a study. And this is another, just trying to show you an example of how, uh, you know, we approach these things sometimes, is I looked at every time the word temple appeared in the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. And, you know, temples in all the Gospels. Right. But it's, it's very interesting. I noticed a couple of things there. They were always in times of conflict, it seemed like. And, you know, Jesus would use those examples to, to kind of point to himself. There, there's a couple of related themes I think we can talk about later as well in, in later episodes that will be interesting. Mm-hmm. One is that the Gospel of John, I think I've mentioned this before, Gospel of John uses the Jewish festivals or the Jewish feasts yes. in a way that the other Gospels don't seem to, to be. We talked about the Feast of Dedication, for yeah. example. I'm going to mention that again and, later. And yeah, because a lot of the, the feasts are the backdrop <clears throat> yeah. for some of these these stories yeah. in the Gospel of John where Jesus is yeah. saying some of these big I am statements and, Absolutely. and so forth. Uh, you know, and, and the other Gospels mention the Feast of Passover. All the Gospels mention that feast. Yes. But then John mentions other feasts as well that th- that they don't. Uh-huh. And so that's what's kind of interesting. And we'll get to, I'll give you a couple of examples of that. There's a way this temple theme, because the festivals took place around the temple, right? These, mm-hmm. these were certain times of the year that people would come, uh, the, the Jewish people would come to Jerusalem, and, and that's where they needed to celebrate these feasts. And so so that's a theme that's related. And there's another theme that's not as quite, quite as closely related, but does have a, a little bit of an overlap that's what I would call the cleansing theme in the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. There's, it's, You've scolded me for saying that when Jesus <laughs> cleanses the temple, and you're like, oh, I don't call it that. Well, I don't, but but there there is cleansing. That's another, t- that's another theme. Yeah, there, there's, an, there's another theme of this cleansing. Uh, you know, for example... Uh, well, we, we'll talk yeah, about we'll that another, another day. So, so, yeah, so temple theme. So yes. we, we, we've looked at, you looked at John 14, yeah. realized maybe this is realized eschatology, yeah. not just future. And then the temple is a, and these festivals is a primary yeah. theme that you're seeing through the gospel so of John. So what, what I want to do then with the rest of this episode is kind of talk about some of those different other times. Now, we've already, in John 14, I used some examples, but I'm going to kind of just run through, not every example where temple is used, but just to kind of give you the way that this image pops up regularly in the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. So when I talked last time, I talked we talked about John chapter one, and and John makes this statement in John one fourteen. He made his dwelling. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. And I said that that was related to this image of a tabernacle that he he tented with us or tabernacled with us. And so that that kind of begins a theme. Then in John 2, we mentioned, you just talked about the, the cleansing, that this yes. what I call the temple incident in John 2. Now, I mentioned this before, and I'm just going to dive a little bit deeper into it, because this is a little controversial, but John only mentions the temple incident here. Right. And the other Gospels have it much later, right before he's it, arrested. It really becomes the reason for his his arrest in the in the Synoptic Gospels. It's it's the final week of of Jesus' life. That's where that that incident lies. Now, what I think, <laughs> I'm just going to lay. Well, that's why we're out. here, Brian, as we want to know what you think. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but 
But there's two things you need to notice. So I think John is writing for people who already know the broad outlines of the story of Jesus' life and would already understand that that took place connected to his arrest, his crucifixion. And so when he places it here, and I'm going to say I think he I think he moves this incident here. Um, I didn't mean to do this, but look at just the beginning of John two, okay? Because there's not I, I shouldn't say the beginning, but it's it, it, the beginning of it is the wedding feast at Cana, and mm-hmm. then. Uh, I was going to say to the people who are listening, too, we're going to go through several scriptures here, but I'm going to try to explain them. So don't feel like you have to kind of flip along with us. We will put a list of these yeah. on, on our show notes. But uh, down in verse 13, uh, it says the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So it's not necessarily connected to the previous event, which was the the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. This talks about the Passover. Yeah. Now, again, the other gospels connect this event with the Passover, but the final Passover of Jesus' life, and, and I'm saying that there's no time indication here to say that this this is the next thing that happened. Gotcha. So I think John, I think John, and there are people who disagree with me, good people, and there's reasons oh, that they are wrong. <laughs> they're no, wrong. No, 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 I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I'll say it for you. I'm just. But, the... but him moving this would have called attention to to this passage. Okay, and, and of course, the as we mentioned before, the culmination of this passage is where Jesus says, "Destroy this temple, and I'll rebuild it in three days." And, and they are all like, again, I, I said every incident in the temple has to do with controversy or conflict in the gospel mm-hmm. of john they're having this conflict and they say oh, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple and you're going to rebuild it in three days and then john tells us the narrator tells us he was talking about the temple of his body so in a sense bringing that at the very beginning and calling attention to it and and kind of saying here's the point of this narrative that jesus was talking about the the temple of his body I won't spend too much time on this, but there's a couple of times in John two in this in this event that it talks about Jesus' death. I always said if John is a is a mystery writer, he's a lousy one, <laughs> because in John two he says after Jesus was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered these things, and you're like, well, great, thanks. Spoiler alert. <laughs> thanks, John. Yeah, you know? way, John. Yeah, I haven't even got to that part. <laughs> so. So you get what I'm saying? He's He connects this with the death of Jesus. There's a couple of different times. And, and the scripture they remember is that zeal for your house. <laughs> there's, that, there's that house will consume me. And so this idea of his death is connected uh, here already. But anyway, whether or not you think that's the case, the fact, if there are two cleansings or two, two incidents, now you got me doing it, two, two temple incidents. Uh, yes, I win. <laughs> If there are these two temple incidents, John chooses not to tell us about the second one because there's there's nothing in John about this final incident, but he tells us this first one. Even if that's the case, he's drawing attention to it. Now, again, I think there's there's only one. There's a number of reasons I think that. We won't necessarily get into it. So John 2, talked about John 4, the discussion with a Samaritan woman where mm-hmm. she says, is it on this mountain, you know, the, the temple that the Samaritan people have built on Mount Gerizim, or is it in Jerusalem, the temple on Mount Zion? And Jesus says there's a time coming where we'll worship neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, but the true worshiper will worship in spirit and truth. So I think pointing to a time where the temple in Jerusalem was going to be like the temple on Mount Gerizim, which had already been dis- destroyed by John Hyrcanus right. in the first century B.C. So, you know, that is in John 4. John 5, the temple is mentioned specifically. And this is the account of the, the healing of the paralytic 
at the Pool of Bethzatha. And it says that this pool is near the sheep's gate, which connects yes. it to the temple. So Jesus heals this man. You might remember this has been paralyzed for 36 years. Uh, is it 36? I can't remember now off the top of my head. You're, you're, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking it up here. I don't know. I don't okay. know. Just keep talking. I'll <laughs> so, figure it out. 30, 38 years. Oh, oh I'm wrong. So 38 wow, years. Wow. So yeah, we need to. We we should have the the sad trombone. The sad trombone. So thirty eight years he'd been paralyzed. Jesus heals him, and then later, read. You, you've got the passage there. So go ahead and read five fourteen. Yes, five fourteen. This is uh, John five fourteen from the ESV. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, "See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you." And then he departs. Yes. It says the next verse says that he departs. Mm-hmm. So. Jesus goes specifically and finds him in the temple. Now, here's what I think is going on is what the the pool could not do, what all of this other cannot do, Jesus was able to do for the man. He finds him in the temple, and and then the man leaves the temple. Okay, and that's all I'm going to say about that right now. But again, there's that that kind of conflict that's going to happen after this, uh, where Jesus is confronted by the, the the Jewish leaders. Of course, he'd already been confronted by carrying, he was carrying his mat on the Sabbath day. Right. And then Jesus gets into this whole discussion. And essentially, uh, without, I can only do what my father. Yeah. To this very day, my father's working to this very day and I too am working and yes. he makes himself e- equal with God. And of course that causes a, caused a little bit of a stir, a little, a little of a stir. So, so that's John five. So the conflict again, in connection with the temple, John 7, I'm going to come back to. Actually, I think we're going to do a two-parter on this. Yeah. And and I think the second part, I'm going to talk about this in more detail. But John chapter 7 is one of these places. You remember I mentioned the theme of the Jewish feasts and the temple theme. This is one of those places where those come together. In John 7, this is a, Jesus' brothers basically kind of say, hey, if you know, no one becomes a public figure by hiding up in Galilee. If, if you're really this dude, you need to go down to Jerusalem and kind of... <laughs> this and, is where and, it's at. Right. But he waits, and, and this is connected to a feast. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a fall harvest festival. I compare it some, somewhat to our Thanksgiving. I'll talk more about this in, in our next episode. But uh, so, so, you know, we'll talk more about the Feast of Tabernacles. Great, great feast time. So they, they say, you need to go down to Jerusalem and show yourself publicly. And he doesn't until partway up through the feast. And then look at what it says. And you read John seven fourteen through 15. Okay. Uh, here we go. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Okay. So John seven fourteen, he goes up into the temple. Remember, I'm, what I'm basically doing is just looking at all these mentions of temple in the Gospel of John. Goes up into the temple. He starts teaching. They're saying, you know, how's he able to do this? When we go into the next stage, we're going to see in the next episode, we're going to see that there is a conflict that arises because of things that Jesus says connected to this festival. And I'm going to say connected. I'm going to I think I can show you in the next episode connected directly to the temple where Jesus, again, claims for himself expectations that the, the Jewish people were thinking about in regard to the temple. Okay. okay, so that's another, and, and so so wait for that. <laughs> okay, I'm, wait, I'm waiting. Tr- well, trust trust me right now on that, and then and then we'll talk Press about the it in the next there episode. Yeah. <laughs> so John ten is, is the next time. This is the feast of dedication, which we've talked about before. Hanukkah, we've talked about Hanukkah, Hanukkah, Hanukkah. And so what happens here is Jesus goes up and and read verses twenty two through twenty four. Uh, at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. 
It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Okay, the Christ is this idea of the anointed one, the the coming king that God had promised. And, And so it's the festival of dedication when they remember the Maccabean rulers. And so they're saying, tell us if you are the Christ, tell us plainly conflict again and jesus is in the temple he's walking in the colonnade and under a roof it you know it's winter so in jerusalem you get rains it's the time of the winter rains and so you know again this this idea this takes place in the temple i mentioned when we talked about john 14 john 11 now the word temple it may occur in your english translation this is john eleven forty eight. this is one of the reasons it's important for us to kind of have tools that help us look behind our English translation because the word temple, for example, appears in the NIV, but the word there, as I'd mentioned in John 14, is really place. The the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. Mm-hmm. You know, tapas I talked about means yep. like a physical location. And so there are some translators, like the translators of the 2011 version of the NIV translated that as temple. Uh, and I, I think it's referring to temple, but the word temple itself is not there. The Greek word for temple is not there itself, but it, it talks about it. Then, of course, we come to John 14, and that's where we get that thing that we've talked about before. I think in some ways that's kind of a culmination of this theme of the temple in the Gospel of John and kind of saying, you know, here's what all of this is pointing toward is that Jesus is saying, I am the way now that you draw near to God and, you know, I make make my dwelling here with you. I, so I'm trying to restore, recreate the the intimacy with God that we were able to have before the fall, before sin entered the world. Right. So Jesus becomes the way in the temple uh, sacrifices didn't deal with sin, but Jesus comes and becomes the perfect sacrifice so that our sins could be dealt with and that we can enjoy that intimacy with God, which again, I think is even that spirit, the spirit coming within us. And we'll, maybe we'll talk about that next, next episode too. When we talk about John seven, the spirit dwelling within us is that intimacy with God again, that we lost mm. because of our mm-hmm. sin at, at the fall. And Jesus is coming to, to become what the temple was intended to be. I'm going to show you one more thing, and okay. then, and then Wait, we'll kind of summarize this. Yeah, I know. I'm moving. I'm moving. Sir, sir jumps around here. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, and, it's and, good. It's well, good. John 15 is the is the final place I want to look because then really, I don't think we get too much of the temple after this, because what happens is then it's focused on this act of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, and him fulfilling again or go back to what I said at the very beginning of the episode, him realizing, you know, bringing this, this final age into completion, you know, it is finished is of course what he says there on the cross and bringing about this time where we can, because of his work on the cross, become, um, have a relationship with God again. That's, that's different than, than what we've been able to enjoy. So, realizing that that eschatology inauguration of the kingdom in a in a newer way than what we'd seen previously so let's look at john 15 okay now that's this is a famous passage this is the vine and the branches we know pretty well but look at john chapter 15 and actually before we even get there i want you to look at the very end of john 14 again this is a part of the gospel of john that i call the upper room not i but a lot of us call it <laughs> i didn't name this a lot of us call this the up upper room discourse right because jesus is, is in the in, upper room and he's discussing but look at john fourteen thirty one. john fourteen thirty one. the very end the very yep. last phrase yes 
But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Rise, let us come, let us go. Okay. Now, here's the interesting thing: is the upper room discourse goes on for for three more chapters, even after he said fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen. And I say that you know this is kind of if you live in the Midwest, you understand. You know, you might understand it this way culturally is, oh, okay, we need to go now, and then you stand in the hallway for three hours <laughs> yes, yes. And, and saying goodbye, right? Yeah. That's, uh, that's a Midwestern thing. But I don't think that's what's happening. <laughs> I mean, Jesus wasn't from the Midwest. <laughs> no, he was from the Middle East. But <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Sorry. Seriously. I thought, I thought you had that. I thought you had that on the sound. So so John John 14, the end of John 14, they leave, in my opinion, they leave the upper room. Now, later in John um, 17, after the, high, the what we call the high priestly prayer a lot of times of Jesus, John 17, you might remember the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. Then we have chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus had spoken these words. He went out with his dis- disciples across the, the Kidron. So they leave Jerusalem at that point. Hmm. So here's what I think happens. And th- I'm going to tell you why this is significant here <laughs> okay. in just a minute. I think they leave the upper room, but they haven't yet left Jerusalem. So Jesus continues this discussion with them as they're walking as out. they're walking out to the to the garden, which is where they're going. That's of course where Judas knows that they're going to go, and and is going to you know take the the soldiers out to to find Jesus there. So here's the interesting thing about this: we have the vine and the branches. John chapter 15. Go ahead and read just the first verse or two there for me. Oh, John chapter 15. Yeah. Okay. Let me flip. Okay. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Jesus says, I am the true vine, is what I want to focus on. Now, vine, the idea of a vineyard is is in the Old Testament. You know, you see it in the book of Isaiah. You see it in, in the book of Ezekiel. It, it's a way that God talks about Israel. He talks about them as, as the vineyard. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, of course, uses parables in the synoptic gospels. He talks about the vineyard, uh, you know, that there's a man who who owned a vineyard and he leased it out to tenants. You might remember yes. that mm-hmm. story. Yep. There's, there's another. Kept, kept killing those he was yeah, sending. Yeah, there's another story where he talks about a vineyard that was not bearing fruit. And, and he said, give it another year. You know, let's let's make sure it's fertilized. Let's take, you know, take care of it. And it's a way to talk about the people of God's people. Let's let's just say it that way. This is a way to talk about God's people. But here, so so this idea of vineyard and vine, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Okay. Now here's what's really interesting in connection with this idea of the temple theme. This is this is kind of an interesting thing. You have okay. to have to do a little bit. Now descriptions of the temple, we've talked before about the fact that it would have been one of the most fabulous buildings in the ancient world. Uh, all the ancient writers who talk about it are agreed that there's a certain amount of gold that go on the outside. Now, there's, yes. there's controversy about exactly how much gold Herod put on the temple, but even Solomon's temple had gold on it. Yes, there's part of the part of it that was was golden. Herod's <laughs> temple is described as having gold on the front of it. But here's an interesting part of this: across the front of the temple, according to the ancient writers, and I'm going to give you a couple of examples here in just a minute. There was a golden vine. Just a, 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 like in front of the the uh, out, outer courts, above the above the door that led not about uh, above the outer courts, above the door that led into the holy of holies. Let's okay. say the holy place and the holy of holies. There was a golden vine, and there's okay. two different authors, at least two. There's there's more than that, but Josephus talks about this idea of a golden vine, and so it was a symbol of Israel. 
right? And, and here it is on the temple. Now, here's here's what I find really fascinating, and this is one of the things that makes me believe that this this is a true detail. You know, that this is something that really happened. There's a Roman historian from this period of time by the name of Tacitus. I don't know if you've ever heard heard of him or not. Uh, yeah. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Well, Tacitus was writing about the Jewish people, and he says lots of things. And in fact, it's kind of a very negative view of the Jewish people. If you read this, this is in book five of Tacitus, and he's talking about all these horrible things that they do, and there's all these rumors about their the way that they worshipped and this kind of thing. But he mentions this golden vine, and here above the temple, above mm-hmm. the door that led into the, the to the temple, and he's describing it in connection with other temples in the ancient world. But he says this. I find it interesting. He he says that that therefore he believes the Jews were worshiping Dionysius, interesting the Roman god of of wine. Yeah. So so you get what I'm saying is this isn't you know Josephus is a, is a Jewish person trying to explain to the Romans what the Jewish people believed, and so it might be one thing for him to describe this golden vine, but but here's Tacitus, this Roman who says, oh, there was this golden vine. They probably worship the god right. of wine. Right? Yeah, he he doesn't like him so well. He does, and he doesn't under, he doesn't understand, understand it. it, and so he doesn't understand the references to the Old Testament. I think you know this idea of the vineyard and this kind of thing. So, just imagine this. Just just allow me to imagine for a minute. If the, Jesus and the disciples have left the upper room, we've talked before about the, the thing that would have been most prominent in in, in Israel, or I should, sorry, in Jerusalem during this period of time would have been the temple. temple. And imagine this golden facade with this vine across the top of it. And Jesus says to his disciples, I am the true vine. In connection with this idea. They could have been walking right by it. I I think so. They would have seen. I mean, you you know that. We've talked about that. You could see it from any part of the ancient city, you know. And and so, again, I think this is a way that Jesus is saying, I am am the temple. This This is... what I am doing, this is where I'm going, as I've just said to you in John 14. And then, as I said, the rest of the narrative really is about, you know, that idea of him accomplishing and becoming this. So so this temple theme, you might ask the question, why does this make any difference? And that's yeah, where... Like, what do, why? Why? Yeah, big deal, right? Yeah. But, but I think that's where that idea of realized versus future eschatology is important. I think Jesus is saying that he is fulfilling what the purpose of the temple is. I'll, I'll give an example that I've heard. I heard we mentioned Greg Beale's book. Mm-hmm. If you really want to read an in-depth book on this, but you would agree, Ryan, that's a, it's a pretty tough read. It's a, it's a tough read. It looks at some other cultural context yes. of, of uh-huh. you know references and stuff, but it, it's a very interesting read. But yeah. yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's not when you just pick up and like, oh, I'm just going to flip through <laughs> this and I'm going to get the point. But if you really, you know, I, I really highly recommend it. It's, it's very good. And again, to prepare you for the book Revelation, uh, which we'll look at a little bit in the next episode as well. But, you know, this this idea of Jesus fulfilling this portion, I heard him give an example of kind of what he was talking about one time. He, he mentioned he's a part of a, a, a church. I heard him lecturing on this. Mm-hmm. It's when the book first came out. And he said he's part of a church that was doing a building project. And we've, we've all probably seen this, whether it's in our churches or maybe a building where we worked or whatever. They had a building pro- project they were going to do. And he said what they did is they brought in this kind of uh, scale model of the future building. Get people excited. Get mm-hmm. them, you know, donate money, yeah. that kind of thing. You know how that They that brought in a scale model. Right. They brought in a scale model, and that was in the foyer. He said, but we didn't all gather around that and go, oh, we've done it. We've accomplished it. Here's our building. Right. He said that was pointing towards something that was going to be much greater. It was it was to get us excited about that. And he compared that then to the temple in Jerusalem. 
Okay, so the, so the temple, and, and this is one of the interesting things about the book of Revelation. We were talking about this a little bit last night. The book of Revelation, for several chapters, uses temple imagery throughout it. Uh, for example, you have this throne. Uh, we're going to talk about this in a later episode. You've got the lamb and God sitting on the throne, the candlesticks. You've got an altar of incense. You've got mm-hmm. all of the temple furniture that, that you would expect to be a part of the temple is described there in the book of Revelation. But what we sometimes think is this is using the images of the temple to describe this. But what Beale would say is almost the other way around. That's the reality. And the temple, in a sense, was a scale model of what it means to be in in God's presence, of what it means to really be. So, So kind of the other way around, rather than John's description of heaven being based on the temple. What if the temple was based upon the description of the heavens, mm. right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, so it's kind of a cool thing. And the other thing I think for us, th- this is the practical thing that it has for me, is it's a reminder. Uh, so when we think about realized eschatology, we think about what it is in our Christian lives now as followers of Christ that we have at our disposal. That, what, what, <laughs> I shouldn't say disposal. That sounds kind of funny. But um, what does it mean? that Christ, what what did Christ accomplish on the cross? And I think what he did is that he, you know, he brought this possibility of relationship again. What he, he restored in a sense was the relationship that we were created for in the beginning. And that's what we're, it, we eternal life now, you know, Jesus says, I came to bring life and, and bring it to the full or abundant. Some translations will say is what we have now is this, possibility of intimacy with God again. That's what I think is the is the significance of this temple theme. And and this is where my eschatology okay. <laughs> kind of goes. There are people who think that there's going to be a really significant role for the physical temple in Jerusalem in the future. That there there's going to be a rebuilding. We've talked in this in our archaeology episode or not archaeology, the the Holy Land episode. We talked mm-hmm. about the temple platform and the Dome of the Rock and the mosque that's there now. Even as we're recording this, is there's conflict and mm-hmm. fighting that's going on, Significant. And, and that's the center of it. That Jerusalem is the center of that conflict, and, and there are people who who believe that the coming of Christ is contingent upon that physical temple being rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think these images of the temple are really a, a way to describe God's dwelling with man. The temple was pointing toward what Christ accomplished. It affects my reading of those kind of texts, you know, from from the Old Testament, you know, Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, all the way into the Book of Revelation. My understanding of those things are based upon understanding Jesus fulfilling this this. Yeah, role. so there's not a, the physical temple coming back again. It's, I, it's Jesus. I don't think so. And again, there there are people who are going to disagree with that, but I don't think that's what we're looking forward to. I think. When Jesus says it is finished, we're understanding that that was, you know, that that was what needed to happen. Right. Jesus on the cross is the that that the physical temple is. Mm-hmm. He has now become the the temple for us. The means by which we draw near to God and and has God's fulfilled. God's dwelling among His people. Yeah, so, absolutely. Other questions or thoughts or. Uh, I don't think I have any other questions or thoughts. Have you seen the movie Zoolander, by the way? I'm sorry. This has been running <laughs> through my head. Have you seen the movie Zoolander? I don't think I, I've seen parts well, of it. Well, you I were talking about it. the scale model. Oh, yeah. And they bring out a scale model to Derek Zoolander, who's the model. And uh-huh. he, he looks at it and he goes, what is this, a center for ants? It's got to be at least three <laughs> times this size. Because it's <laughs> he's so dumb, he doesn't even know it. 
Right. Anyway, Derek that's, Zoolander. That's the kind of thing, though. I think that, and that's what that's really what Greg Beale's getting at in his book is that the temple was a temporary means to show what this re- future relationship with God is going to be like. Mm, yeah. So, so that's what it's pointing toward. Right. So we're only seeing a, a small glimpse of it. We, you know, there's there's the the real. We haven't really experienced it yet. This has just been a small glimpse into right. it. And, and and Christ comes to fulfill that. And then I'm not saying that we're not yet that there's gonna be a there is gonna be a future consummation. There's gonna be a future time where this all, you know, comes together. I do believe in a second coming of Jesus. I, I believe in all these things. But I also do believe we have uh, the spirit now. We have you know, that's this is the realized eschatology part of it. We are beginning our eternal lives now. We have, you know, all of these things now. Um and we look forward to the time where the the kingdom will be finally realized, finally consummated. Right. We we only have a glimpse of what is yet to come. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a it's a great topic, you know. And I think that's one of the things that we said this back at John fourteen. It's just like seeing some of the cultural context. The divine piece yeah. was. I had never. I always just thought about about the references to the old, you know, right. some of those other stories about, you sure. know, the vine of the vine of Israel. But to think about on the temple, on the temple, there's this vine. Yeah, yeah. You, I, I I was trying to visualize this in my head. Like, is he just like kind of glancing over there? You know, like they're walking by and glancing at it or right. pointing towards it and saying, again, it's just those little things. Like you said, they got up and left. Yeah, and then references that, and I think that's a that's an interesting. Some of those details, at least for me, I may be just the dumbest person, but you know, I miss, or it's just like, I don't think that's the important part, but it's even in those details that you start to see, you start to, it helps fill in the narrative gap for me. Like I can see them walking. It's like a movie. You know what I mean? Like if, if you just heard the dialogue of a movie, but you didn't see the pieces of them moving, once you see them moving and the dialogue together, it just gives you a much, much richer picture of what's happening in that place. We've talked before about how important it is to read these in large sections, like read the whole. Yes. And that's really what I'm trying to do. You know, when we look at these themes that run throughout the book and, and here's, you know, I know, I know some people and I've gotten this question about, well, how, you know, how do people misunderstand this or, you know, again, however they, we've understood it culturally or whatever. And, and part of it is when people would have heard this initially, they would have heard it, they would have listened to it. And they were, they, it, it, you, you mentioned this idea of visualizing it because we're a very visual culture. Mm-hmm. We think you, you know, Reference Zoolander earlier, you know. We're, oh, man, <laughs> if you haven't seen Zoolander, go watch it. It'll help you remember about this temple theme. Anyway, we're, we're we're a very visual culture. We're centered on movies and those kind of things. But they would have been a very uh, audible culture because they heard things read. And so when you heard the whole Gospel of John read, these kind of words would have stuck out to you, right? These, mm-hmm. these kind of themes, I think, you would have picked up on. You, you were able to, to, you know, you had a longer attention span probably. Than well, we they do. were distracted by all the other visuals. Like right. the visuals were only painted for them in words, right. you know what I mean? And so it would have been much right. more, you know, they're living right. around the temple. So so that's what I'm trying to do. When we, when we do some of these searches, when we look for the meaning of these words, when we see the way that they're repeated throughout the book, you know, I've mentioned the importance of words. We're going to do a video, I think, on, on how we can do some of this and mm-hmm. Uh, you can use, you know, even online resources to find some of these things for yourself. But I, I think what we're really doing is we're we're trying to uh, bring the text back and and hear it in a way that it would have been heard by the first recipients of these texts as, as much as we're able to. We recognize the the separation and we try to overcome it to the best of our ability. So, and and and, and implications are for us to realize where we are in the story. Yeah. you know, and and that 
we do have access to some things that are, you know, the spirit yeah. is here with us. That yeah. it's what Jesus has started. It's not just all future tense, but there are things that have happened sure. to, that are happening today. Yeah. And the next episode in John 7, I'm excited about because I think, you know, when you talk about the spirit, I think that's one of the things that, well, John says specifically, that's what Jesus is talking about there. And I think, I think you'll be interested in some of the things we see there too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brian, thanks so much for sharing Thank the you, knowledge. Ryan. Yeah. It's good to have you back in the yeah, bistro. It's good to be back in the bistro. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> you need another cup of coffee though. Yes. So. We're going to refuel with some coffee. Yeah. And then next week we're going to be back with the John, uh, John, John seven, John seven. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks dude. All right. Good to see you, man. Bye. Well, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. We hope you enjoyed it. As we mentioned, we will be jumping right back into Scripture next week as we look at and explore John chapter 7, verses 37 through 38. We talk about Hebrew parallelism, don't worry, Brian explains it, and punctuation in Greek, hint, there isn't any, and how moving some punctuation in our English translations and moving a verse break, which was also added later, can change everything. It's a great episode. In the meantime, you can find show notes, links, and more for this episode and others at thebiblebistro.com. You can also find us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Bible Bistro. And as always, you can subscribe to us on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search for Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it helpful, would you also please give us a review with Apple Podcasts? The more positive reviews we receive, the more likely others will be able to find and listen to this content. And as I mentioned in the introduction, we are running a giveaway for Ryan Burge's book, The Nuns. If you want to get in on that giveaway, you need to go to Facebook and uh, give us a comment on the post that's uh, pinned at the top. That contest and that uh, giveaway is ending on Friday. So make sure you get in there, uh, leave us a comment and get entered. With all that said, we'll talk to you next Tuesday.